Speaking of Mississippi is produced by the Mississippi Department of Archives and History and made possible by the John and Lucy Shackelford Charitable Fund of the Community Foundation for Mississippi. In 1922, the artist Andrew Bucci was born in the river town of Vicksburg. As a young man, he went to Chicago and New York to hone his craft, then lived away from his home state for decades while making a living with the U.S. Weather Bureau. Although Bucci long planned to return home, he didn't move back until 2014, less than a year before his death. He's respected and beloved for his innovative art, but for many Mississippians, he's unknown. Welcome to Speaking of Mississippi, where we'll explore the landmark moments and overlooked stories of our state's history. I'm Chris Goodwin. Our guests today are Andrew Bucci's niece, Margaret, and Beth Batten, who has curated an exhibit from a collection of Andrew Bucci's early works just donated to the state archives. Although he was born and reared in Mississippi, Andrew Bucci was away from the state for many years, and there may be plenty of his fellow Mississippians who aren't familiar with him or his work. Margaret, how would you describe the art most people know your uncle for? Andrew Bucci was an abstract artist. He was a modern artist. Um, And so that is the genre that he worked in. But I would say that a lot of his art is representational. In other words, if you look at it, you can see figures, you can see landscapes, you can see recognizable things. So he had an interesting way of just um, expressing reality kind of in an abstract way. Yeah. Um, so he does. He did do some purely abstract work, but I think most of it was based in real things, which he, and that's something that he said once, that most of his work is based on reality. And just gorgeous use of color. Yeah, he, was, yeah. A, he was a wonderful colorist. Um, you know, and some of, some of his work, he's, he could do minimalism. I think one an, uh, art reviewer in New Orleans referred to him as a master of gestural understatement. <laughs> he could do a little bit, he could really do a lot with a little, with few brush strokes. But at the same time, he could also have canvases that are just filled with brush strokes and, yeah. and color. So he could go both ways. He could he could use, you know, fill up the page with a lot of color or just make a few marks and make a big statement with that. Yeah. So he had a wide range. What are the uh, family stories of Andrew Bucci as a child? Did he, you know, <laughs> did his people always see his artistic talent from I, the earliest times? I think they did. I yeah. think he started drawing when he was young. He grew up in Vicksburg on First North Street. Um, his dad was a tailor that had a um, a shop in downtown Vicksburg, and um, he had two brothers. His older brother, Don, is my dad, was my dad. But yeah, Andrew showed talent early on and did a lot of drawing. But um, he, during that time, it just wasn't, it just wasn't cool for young men to go into art school. That yeah. just wasn't an option for him um, during that time. So that's how we ended up going to LSU and majoring in architectural engineering after high school. Which yeah. is, um, but if you grow up in Vicksburg, Louisiana is just as good as Mississippi for the most part, right? I mean, it, it's right, <laughs> right. there. Yeah. It's, it's, it, yeah, sure. I asked him once why he went to LSU, and he said because they could catch the train there. Like, yeah. You know, he and my dad both went to Baton Rouge to go to school. So I guess because they didn't have cars and, you know, easy transportation, that's the, that's the school that they could get to. Um, Were the siblings close growing up? 
I think so, yeah. They remained close throughout their lives. Um, Andrew's two brothers both married and had families, but Andrew did not marry. Um, and uh, anyway, that some people see that as kind of an unusual choice too, but I think that um, he was kind of married to his career in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that uh, he had a lot of freedom to create and also to live in, you know, to have the solitude that he needed to create as well. Mm-hmm. I think that he really kind of had to have that environment where he could um, have the freedom and the peace to, to create. Mm-hmm. So that's how we fashioned his life, you know. Yeah. So early on, he's uh, a member of a sort of a, you know, biggish, raucousish family. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that they had, uh, you know, it was during the Depression. There really wasn't a lot of opportunity. Kind of got to make your own fun. Make your own fun. And um, uh, they went to the, they attended the Catholic school. The brother school is what they called it in Vicksburg that was, that was, uh um, taught by a, a Jesuit order, I think. And um, so they walked to school. Um, they, uh, Andrew started first grade when he was four. He started going <laughs> to school with my dad. So by the time he graduated, he was 16. So he was kind of younger than his his peers in school, but he still excelled. I mean, mm-hmm. he was able to keep up and and do well in school and like be editor of the school newspaper and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, and and Vicksburg, I mean, is one of the sort of the grand old towns of the state. I mean, it it it's it has been an important place for a long time, although economically it declined in the twentieth century. Um, but I mean, it was it was sort of an exciting place in some ways as well. Yeah, I think you know, dad, their dad um, emigrated from Italy. And so there was a, a a fairly you know broad network of Italian uh, Italian Americans in that in Vicksburg, yeah. and um, you know the Catholic community was very much thriving, yeah. you know, in a big part of their lives. So um, yeah, I mean you know culturally it was an interesting place for them to be, um, and uh, and the story of how my. Gr- uh, grandfather ended up settling in, in Vicksburg. So I'm not too terribly clear on it, but I think another one of his cousins was a tailor. And uh, sometimes I wonder if his, if Andrew's father being a tailor kind of got him interested in fashion. Yeah. Because fashion was a huge part of his, of, of, of his focal point in a lot of his work. He loved fashion illustration. So maybe he was exposed to some of that yeah. in his dad's tailor shop. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> So he began to draw first as a teenager and younger? Yeah, and, you know, he kept a lot of his drawings. And and, uh, the new Andrew Bucci collection at Archives and History has a number of those drawings that he made. Mm -hmm. So um, he saved a lot of his stuff, which I'm so thankful for that. How do you, do you know how he came to be connected with um, Marie Hall in Jackson? Yeah, well, when he was— attending Louisiana State. During the summers, he would come back to to Mississippi. Uh, he had an uncle who worked for the highway department in Jackson. And so his uncle got him a job in the soil lab at the state highway department. And his uncle knew that he loved art and he knew about Marie Hull 
And so he made the introduction. He lived in the Belhaven neighborhood, actually, mm-hmm. where Marie Hall taught, lived yeah. and taught. So that's when Andrew met Marie Hall around 1940 and started taking watercolor lessons from her. And that's when their, you know, uh, relationship began. And it, it, it's, it's, it's a relationship that continued throughout their lifetimes. Yeah. Um, she became a very uh, important advocate for him and um, really believed in his talent and encouraged his talent and encouraged him to go to art school in Chicago when that opportunity became available with the GI Bill. So she was very um, influential in Andrew's uh, development as an artist and his decision to, to become an artist. And and she worked with him in watercolors, but then also later in oil? I believe so. Um, um, that's what I've come to know, um, learning from the latest exhibition. Uh, the curator of the new exhibition is Beth Batten. And so she's found some of these uh, facts in his archival materials that shed light on uh, his early education yeah. and his experiences with Marie Hall and what she was teaching him. Beth, that's an excellent opportunity to ask you. I mean, <laughs> so how does the art in in the exhibit Emerging Grace compare to what we might think of as Bucci's more recognizable later styles? I mean, what 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 does his early work look like? It's there's a big range. Yeah. Um, he I, I saw in his sketchbooks um, he wrote. In some of his notes about a Japanese artist, there was tremendous variety. I think that's the word. And I, I kind of underlined that because mm-hmm. I think there's also tremendous variety in his work. Um, and his, the sketchbooks that were donated to Archives in History, there are um, a lot of fashion sketches. And in the show, Emerging Grace, I kind of looked through everything and I was familiar with his later work. And so the um, kind of the gestural um, work that does a lot with minimal brushstrokes, mm-hmm. like um, Margaret said, those, I guess I was looking for traces of that. Mm-hmm. And um, so the works that are on display show kind of a progression um, from some of his work with Marie Hall, which is more landscape, and then some of his figure drawings, which are more traditional kind of academic figure drawing, you know, three-dimensional sort of looking. And then you could tell as he gets to art school in Chicago that he's, well, he talks about um, Japanese art and kind of the flattened plane and how um, one of the Japanese artists will um, have a figure kind of floating in space and or floating on the page. So he um, kind of flattens flattens it out. And so you start to see that happening in the work that's on display at the Winter Building um, and more abstract um, figures and more use in the background of um, like slashes of color that to make up a background, I mm-hmm. think, in those years in Chicago, he was also starting to look at backgrounds as being important to the composition um, and having it all work together with color, with, um, yeah, mainly with color, I would say. One of the things that I love seeing in that exhibit is the different assignments that he had been given 
at art school because you really get to see how he's almost putting on a different pair of clothes, you know, uh, as directed for each one. And for anyone who has really seen Vicksburg, I feel like they've got to be delighted by the drawing of Vicksburg that he did as an assignment. Yes, the assignment was, um, he was studying, I think for that semester, it must have been a second semester in his freshman year. And um, they studied Japanese art and um, also Chinese um, art. And so this assignment was, he had some different options. Um, usually it was to write a paper or to, um, oh, to analyze some draw some works that were on display at the um, Art Institute, at the museum, or to create a composition in the style of, or right. a landscape in the right. style of a um, Sung Dynasty um, paint, graphic painter, yeah. um, calligraphy painter. And so he he did that and, and, and painted the la- landscape of Vicksburg, showing some of its historical, um, you know, sites, but you just glanced at it you you wouldn't recognize it really so much as a 20th century mid 20th right, century right. piece you might think it was um older and, and, and in like manner i mean there's you know a self-portrait in a flemish style i mean it's it really runs the oh, gamut it's beautiful it is it's it's fascinating too just to see what he chooses and um gosh just the talent um I'm trying to think of what else is on display there. There's also a self-portrait um, in the style of Rembrandt. Mm-hmm. And um, he had to use modern attire and a modern subject. So he used himself mm-hmm. uh, holding a paintbrush and sort of kind of a three-quarter view of his head from shul- shoulders up. And in the sketchbooks, there's some sketches, some preliminary little drawings of that one. And there are 90 six sketchbooks that are in the collection. I mean, that's, yeah, it's amazing. And and really the, the few that are, that you're able to display in the exhibit really do show a, an artist finding his style. Yes. It's, um, I really saw him kind of discovering a, um, like a visual language, yeah. the language that you would see later in his work with, um, just more flattened space and and um, brushstrokes that just that say so much with minimal, um, with not a lot of overwork. Right. Not, yeah. So he he left Vicksburg for Louisiana, finishes there, and not long after that he goes to Chicago to school at the Art Institute. Well, uh, World War II happened. Yeah, right, so, right. so he graduated from LSU in, in 1943 and was accepted into a weather officer training program. And he went to New York University. It was a nine-month training program. And by the time he completed it, he was a weather officer trained in meteorology. Mm-hmm. He could draw, draw weather maps for the military. And he was deployed to England and Scotland at the beginning of the war, and at the end of the war, he ended up in an air base near Paris, and that's when he was able to take classes at the Academy Julian. Mm-hmm. And um, the Academy Julian was known for life drawing classes, 
But there was also an instructor there who was teaching the students how to draw like drapes, uh, fabrics draped um, over over different things. And, and she kind of focused a lot on fashion, which I'm sure Andrew was like, wow, how did I luck out yeah. here? <laughs> right. You know, the time he was there, she was teaching that. He also did life drawing, but he was able to kind of indulge his his you know passion to to make fashion drawings too yeah. and um there's a an example of a of a painting that he made in her class in the show now um if beth if you want to tell yeah, them about it, it's really yeah, beautiful it's gorgeous um um sort of a still life of a piece of fabric that's blue with white highlights um maybe a silk i think mm-hmm. It looks like shimmeries. I mean, he really gets the texture of the fabric and um, very much, you know, in three dimension. Um, Yeah, just a very, a study on that fabric. So he goes to the School of the Art Institute and, uh, but that's not all of the formal training that he wound up having. Um, He, after the War was over, um, uh, and with assistance from the GI Bill, he decided to go to the Art Institute. And I, he told a story that, because uh, I don't think his dad was still sold on him being an artist. Mm. I think Marie Hall actually went to Vicksburg to talk to his dad and talk to his parents, I should say, because his mom was involved too, and um, kind of talked them into, you know, convinced them that Andrew, this was a great opportunity for Andrew and that he was truly talented and belonged, you know. At this prestigious art school, yeah, um, and so that's where he went. He went to the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, and after his um, his undergraduate degree, he ended up going to New York City to Parsons School of Design to study fashion illustration. Right. So he ended up obviously he took it seriously enough to delay his. Uh, you know, a master's degree at, in Chicago to, to study fashion illustration. So, and some of that work is also in the exhibit yeah. now. And so for decades after that, he managed to produce art, but also to work a meteorology gig. That's right. right. I mean, he, he, so how did that work for him? I mean, did that, did he feel like that gave him the freedom to, to take some chances on the art or, or, I mean, how did he feel about his meteorological career? I don't know. Well, first of all, I think he he liked meteorology. He liked the science of it, and I think he liked the people he met through Mm -hmm. it. But but after he got finished in Chicago and got his MFA, um, I believe he came back to Vicksburg. He might have taught at a a school and taught art. Uh, He wasn't having much success selling paintings. and he ended up getting hired by the the Weather Bureau mm-hmm. um, in Vicksburg, and they transferred him to Greenville, South Carolina. And after a year there, they transferred him to uh, to their headquarters outside of Washington D.C. And he ended up working there for you know until 1979, like from 1956 to 1979. So he had this full time uh, career drawing weather maps and running parallel with his full time career. Painting, getting associated with galleries. He was president of the Washington Water Color Association for a couple of years in the 60s. So he, I mean, you know, the scrapbooks, which are now part of the, his collection, 
at Archives and History uh, pr- pretty much detail all the things that he was involved in through those years. And he was a very busy artist. <laughs> he designed the official stamp, right, for the sesquicentennial of the of Mississippi. That's right. In 1967, he paint he designed the Magnolia stamp. Um, so that was, you know, quite a wonderful thing to be involved in. Um, so he very much maintained his connections to the Mississippi art scene. One of Andrew Bucci's first art teachers was Jackson resident Marie Atkinson Hall. Hall was born in 1890 in Summit, Mississippi. She trained at the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts and the New York Art Students League with additional study in France and Spain. The Mississippi Department of Archives and History holds several of Hall's paintings, including one of a sharecropper on display in the Museum of Mississippi History. Visitors to the state archives can see four scrapbooks Hall put together that contain brochures and programs from early exhibits, prints of some of her works, and other memorabilia. The painter William Dunlap talks about Hall in a 1974 oral history available at the archives, where you can also find books about her and catalogs produced to accompany Hall's art exhibits. Digitized photographs of Marie Hall, including one of her at work on a large painting of ducks, can be seen on the department's online catalog. Who are some of the other Mississippi artists that he admired or viewed as contemporaries? Um, well, this is sort of hard, right? I mean, you are away. You're 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 working. I mean, you're in a career, earning a paycheck, um, several states away, but you are connected through the work that you love to. Mississippi's artistic community. Well, he, you know, he was part of the initial Mississippi art colony that formed it at uh, Allison's Wells right. in the late 40s. So, um, Hosford Fontaine and her husband, John Fontaine, were the owners of Allison's Wells. And she, after af- after the hotel burned down in the 60s, she continued um, uh, showing art and having art colonies uh, on, on the coast in Pascagoula, I think, where her son had a had a uh, hotel, but um, anyway, she, he maintained connections with with Hosford Fontaine, with uh, people like uh, uh, Elizabeth Pajerski, Caroline Compton. These are Vicks, Vicksburg people. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Bess Dawson is an artist who uh, opened a gallery in Macomb, and and he began showing work with her uh, later in his career. So those are some of the people that come to mind that that he maintained friendships with over the years um, in Mississippi. Uh, I love the one of the quotes, one of the remarks that um, Marie Hull made was that she felt like later he became her teacher. Yeah, there's a lot. You know, in fact, Beth curated a show uh, for the Mississippi Museum of Art kind of comparing their styles mm-hmm. and their, how they influenced each other. Yeah, and you mentioned the stamps earlier. The Mississippi Museum of Art has in their collection a number of wonderful pieces by Andrew Bucci, um, several canvases, and um, then some works on paper, and then this um, his preliminary sketches for the stamp. Hmm. And it really shows um, the—he starts—I think he was— um, the landscape of the Mississippi Delta, especially with cotton fields, was very inspiring to him or just um, he it was a subject that he returned to in his work. And so you see some of the um, 
you see it kind of breaking up, like the colors, mm-hmm. the field, the the blue that makes up the sky, sort of breaking up into smaller pieces and the cotton um, on the field. And um, and then he ultimately goes with a magnolia design, right. but there were those. And um, yeah, there was a quote that Marie Hall, um, she, she was talking to a newspaper in Laurel after she had curated a show of Andrew Bucci's work. I think it was 1952 in the fall. And she said that he was one of, maybe was the most gifted student she had ever had. And that now he was her teacher because it, I, I admire both of them because um, they were both very open to learning new styles. Yeah. And that not just in Mississippi, um, Patty Carr Black wrote more about, wrote about Mississippi artists were more, uh, tended more toward narrative mm-hmm. works and so Marie Hall and, of course, Andrew Bucci and some others, but the, the Summit Trio, like mm-hmm. Bess Dawson, yeah. um, that they really went to town with abstract art. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you had mentioned earlier, Margaret, that there was a time when Yonkel was having trouble selling his paintings. I, you know, he is collected and beloved now, when did when did his when did his people find him in that way? Do you know? <laughs> That's a really good question. I, I think that you know he was very much early in his career when he's going to college and and um, entering art contest and winning things. He was he was you know um, I think and because Mrs. Hall made that statement in the newspaper and said so many good things about them about him, I think that people started to take him seriously mm-hmm. and notice and and pay attention and. Um, and he told me that he he sold his very first painting ever to to Bitsy Irby, for whom the uh, the Bellhaven yeah. per, uh, Performing Arts Center is named. But um, so I kind of found that interesting. She's a I and think where I'm, that marvelous exhibit of his was right. Yeah. That's right. And and twenty fifteen. Yeah. But um, so I think that Andrew kind of later later in his career began to enjoy more commercial success mm-hmm. after he began showing his work with Brown's Fine Art mm-hmm. and Jackson. And with Cole Pratt Gallery in New Orleans, and I think they really helped um, cultivate uh, um, an audience of of, of uh, Bucci fans mm-hmm. and collectors. Mm-hmm. And so I think for for Andrew, it must have been you know uh, given him a sense of satisfaction you know later in his career to finally um, experience some commercial success yeah. um, that might have eluded him earlier. Yeah, but. Um, you know, in Mississippi art circles, at least he he you know he's always been known and and kind of celebrated and admired. Um, but because he lived far away, um, uh, well, like I said, he he that remoteness I I think kind of um, um, sort of maybe made him feel like he wasn't that deserving of, like, certain awards or recognitions. Hmm. I know that when he was nominated for the uh, Mississippi Institute of Arts and Letters Award, I think he turned it down a few times because he was like, I don't, that, that needs to go to somebody who, who lives in Mississippi. I think huh. I think he kind of did those. Yeah. He was a little hesitant to accept recognition because he had lived away from his home state. But at the same time, he remained very much involved yeah. in it. So I think that was just his— his modesty. Yeah. He was just a very modest 
person in that regard and didn't really like the limelight at all. Um, Tell me about the um, Christmas cards that he would make and send out. Yeah, well, and when he um, was in art school in Chicago, he started making um, Christmas cards. And I think that a lot of his fellow students were doing the same thing, and they would send them to each other during the holidays. And it's a tradition that Andrew kept up until the final year of his life. He made a new Christmas card design every year and would send uh, these original Christmas cards to his, um, you know, network of friends and family members who were lucky enough to be on his Christmas card list. And um, so uh, those are pretty wonderful. He, after a few years uh, in the 50s, he kind of found the theme that he liked, and that was the Three Wise Men. Mm -hmm. So just about all the cards, you can see the Three Wise Men, different levels of abstraction in it, but... um, to me, they're pretty easy to find yeah. in most of them. And they're all following, like, the Star of Bethlehem. So the three wise men and the star. And he is the different variations that he came up with to present them in just always blow my mind. I mean, they're just they're just amazing. And they're beautiful and they're colorful. and and um, I really love that way of keeping up with you people, too. I mean, mm-hmm. what, a, what a fantastic way to sort of establish a community and, and be a part of that community. Right. And— and um, the USA International Ballet Competition a couple of years ago, we yeah. uh, Andrew's estate partnered with them to make uh, print reproductions of his cards as a fundraiser. Friends of the IBC has been selling them for the past couple of years. And um, so that's been a really great way to, to support the IBC and um, kind of get Andrew's uh, name out there as a, an important Mississippi artist. Yeah, too. that's right. Um, so there was the exhibit at Bellhaven University a few years ago that we had talked about. And um, one of the things that was part of that that I had not been familiar with was the needlepoint work that he did, which was just stunning and fabulous and beautiful. And I wonder if either one or both of you would talk a little bit about it. Well, it's Needlepoint is something that Andrew took up much later in his career. I think right. it was probably in his late 70s or early 80s when he decided that he wanted to start experimenting with Needlepoint. I think it, you know, he told me it, it was just something he could do while he watched TV. He could just sit down and kind of take a, Create a load these off the knees. Pieces of, yeah, I mean, but. Uh. Yeah, but he started having some knee problems and things when he got older, and it was just harder for him to, to, to paint, to stand and paint. And so I think a lot of times he just did things that, um, and, you know, the, the needlepoint work requires a lot of planning and right. that was, I mean, stitches. I appreciate it, the remark that he did it while he was watching TV, but good heavens, the <laughs> level of care that had to be taken on these. Yeah, a lot of a lot of um, premeditation goes into it, which is a complete contrast to his uh, painting style, which to me is very improvisational. Yes. So that's what I find him so interesting and and and. Um, he liked working with different color blocks and and different arrangements. A lot of some of his um, needle points are recreations of his paintings. Mm-hmm. Uh, he really liked the mythological character Daphne, who was turned into a tree. So mm-hmm. a lot of his paintings have face faces surrounded by leaves and things. So he he did a lot of needle points based on that, and all kinds of stuff. Some of his needle points were made into pillows <laughs> that look really cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was kind of a you know, uh, at, at at first when I saw his needlepoints, I really didn't know what to think of them because I don't, I just 
generally don't think of fine artists as doing that, but there's actually a very long, rich history of, of you know, textile art. Yeah, Ethel Wright Mohammed has created amazing stuff in Mississippi, but but yeah, you don't think of someone who is as skilled as Andrew Bucci at drawing at watercolor, at oil painting, prints, moving to needlework. Yeah, it's just I mean, it's it's the incongruity of it in part that is so charming. But. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Do you have any idea how many roughly he produced needlepoints? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't. Um, that there aren't many. I mean. Com- you know, there, there's a very small number of them. Um, that, that'd be hard to know because I know some, I know some of the galleries sold a number sold a number of them. But there aren't many. Yeah, yeah, and time-consuming, I guess. Yes, yes. So 2022 is the centennial of Andrew Bucci's birth, um, and and sort of as part of that, there's this fabulous um, collection you and the estate have donated to the State Department of Archives and History. And from that, Beth has put together this wonderful exhibit. Beth, would you maybe say a few words about the the collection and what all is in it? The collection has, um, it's, I would say, the sketchbooks from his years, um, from the 40s through the 50s make up at least the the largest part that I went through. And then there also are, um, there's some flat art work on, works on paper, like prints that he made mm-hmm. in graduate school. Um, lots of um, um, loose art from his time in Paris and from different times in his life. Gosh, his, his syllabi from art school are there. <laughs> and... All of his notes about, um, you know, y'all were talking about needlepoint, and I thought about his, I guess he was studying Gothic uh, tapestry. Mm. <laughs> and um, there's a beautiful uh, little, not really a sketch because it's in color, but I guess I guess it's a sort of a little plan of a tapestry, I think for an assignment that was to compose a, a tapestry. Um you know, in the style with modern composition, yeah. but in the style of um, medieval uh, tapestry artists. How interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's um, a lot of his early years. And um, then the sketchbooks have so much information in them, a lot of archival materials, like um, some of his military um, paperwork and his school IDs. For so much that I wanted to include in the show, but there just wasn't space. Um, photographs. And I mean, there was a, a lot that I couldn't get to. And Margaret, you could probably talk more yeah. about. Well, you know, um, Andrew didn't, his sketchbooks were his journals to me. Mm. Um, and um, they, they tell the story, at least in as early as, uh, early part of his career about his evolution as an artist, and his um, and he kept detailed scrapbooks too from the forties until until close to his death in twenty fourteen. I mean, he kept every important letter. He kept you know when he won his his first big painting award in the fifties, some of his art school students like telegrammed him congratulations. He kept hmm. all of that. Um, they're just filled with uh, 
newspaper clippings. I mean, I don't know what people do today without newspaper <laughs> clippings. I mean, I mean, his, so yes, much of his life yes. and so much of his accomplishments were documented documented in newspaper clippings. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and um, so uh, he kept really good scrapbooks, uh, which are now with MDAH, and um, they they also tell the story of his career. He p- kept lists of his paintings that he was giving to different exhibitions. He kept uh, exhibition programs. Um, he he was kind of a pack rat. That's great. And I'm very happy. Yeah, right. Very glad it's, that it's he a, did. It's a happy circumstance for us. So, Margaret, why did you, what do you, what do you want to accomplish with this donation? What do you, you know, how, how did you come to decide to donate this fabulous collection to the state archives? You had many choices of, of where it might go. Well, I... I felt that um, around the time of the centennial um, that, you know, if there were events and and things being planned to celebrate Andrew, um, that these materials need, needed to be available for scholarship, for exploration, and they needed to be um, a resource for the, pu- for the public to be able to see. Um, you know, Andrew as an important artist— with ties to Mississippi, um, he's a Mississippi product, um, and I think that Mississippi, you know, we take great pride in our artists, mm-hmm. and um, so I felt that his 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 things belonged here, where where he, his largest fan base was located, and um, I think there's much to be learned about him and about his career. I, I loved working with Beth because I learned so much more about um, my uncle's artwork. Through her, just by having different people looking at his materials, things the, the just the conclusions they can draw and the different insights they can come up with. I mean, that's I think that's what what I you know what would be wonderful to see is um, more scholarly research and uh, and that that kind of um, looking at his artwork in new and different ways through the prism of of you know the where we are currently in art. Because a lot of convenient, a lot of his art is timeless. I mean, it is, you know, it's still just as wonderful today as it was, you know, 50 years ago. So Yeah. Well, for those listening to this podcast in early 2022, Emerging Grace, Andrew Bucci's early works, runs through March 12th at the William F. Winter Archives and History Building in Jackson. It's open every day except Sundays. Margaret Bucci, Beth Batten, thank you for being with us today and talking about Andrew Bucci. Thank you. Thank you. Speaking of Mississippi is a joint production of the Mississippi Department of Archives and History and the Community Foundation for Mississippi. Our opening music comes from a 1942 recording by Sid Hempel, the most storied black musician in the Mississippi Hills in the early 20th century. Our closing music was recorded in 1939 by Tishomingo County fiddler John Hatcher and included on the 1985 Mississippi Department of Archives and History release, Great Big Yam Potatoes. I'm Chris Goodwin, and thank you for listening to Speaking of Mississippi.